As Brother Craig said, we're, uh, we're very thankful for the presence of everyone here tonight. We hope that if you're visiting with us that uh, you feel comfortable, that you feel welcome. We hope that you feel blessed by being here. Last night we talked about the grace of God. And at the end of our discussion, we asked the question, if God's grace abounds over our sin, does God's grace encourage sin? And that's really what the heart of Romans chapter 6 is. And he begins this chapter by saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Then he says, how are we that are dead to sin, how shall we live any longer therein? And then he asks this question, know ye not. He is saying to these people, look, if your idea is that you can continue in sin and God's grace will abound over your sin, are you ignorant? That's that's the question he's asking. Do you not know? Do you not understand? And then here is what he asked them if they understood. Know ye not? That so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, he says, he appeals to their knowledge again. Knowing this. Knowing what? That our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. You know, he asked them the question, do you not understand? Do you not understand what? Do you not understand what happened when you were baptized? I want to use this question and use the facts that he gives us in Romans 6, verses 3 through 7, to talk tonight about baptism and about several of these truths. Now, I'll be honest with you, we could take these verses and we could turn this into about a five-hour lecture, and I won't do that to you. We're going to talk about three facts that he gives here. And the first thing that I wish to notice is that Paul said when a person is baptized... They're baptized into Jesus Christ. What is the significance of being in Jesus Christ? Well, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 here, Peter was talking to some Jews and he told them in verse 11, This is the stone that is said of not of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Peter told the Jews that day, he said, salvation is in Jesus Christ. And there's not salvation in any other. Why is it important that we be in Jesus Christ? Because that is where salvation is. In a similar fashion, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Paul would say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Friends, there is no condemnation to them which are in Jesus Christ. How do we get in Jesus Christ? Well, there are several things we need to do. 
One of those Jesus spoke to a man named Nicodemus about in John chapter 3 and verse 18. Jesus told Nicodemus, he that believeth on him is not condemned. You know why? Because there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. He said, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So obviously, for a person to get in Jesus Christ, Jesus said, you must believe. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, Jesus would say, Whosoever shall confess me, no, whosoever shall confess my name, him will I also confess before the Father. But he said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Does that sound like a condition for being saved? Absolutely. Jesus said, I will confess you, but you have to confess me. Luke chapter 13 and verse 3, Jesus asked these men that were surrounding him, his disciples, some questions about men that they probably thought were more wicked than other men. And he said, you suppose that this destruction came upon these people because they were exceedingly wicked above everybody else? And he said, no. I tell you nay, but except you repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You know, friends, out of all the things that we talk about, when we talk about salvation, when we talk about being in Jesus Christ, repentance is one of those things that is often mentioned in passing, but not talked about near enough. Be certain of something. Jesus is not only concerned with you changing what you do, but he's concerned with you changing who you are. That's repentance. When we no longer are a servant to sin. Where we become a servant of righteousness. We live a new life. That's repentance. A total change. You know, repentance does not mean sinless perfection. So people say, well, you know, if it's not sinless perfection, then then I don't mind if I have a little sin. (laughs) And I just recall you to Paul's initial question. Know ye not that you're dead to sin? How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Jesus said we must repent. That's not a one-time event. We must repent. I want to turn your attention to Acts 9. And I didn't put all these scriptures on the board because... I don't like to put a a, a great amount of text on a slide. So if you have a Bible, and we'll do this a couple times during our study, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We're going to read about a conversion of a man named uh, Saul of Tarsus. Acts chapter 9. Let's begin in verse 8. Saul was one of those names that if you were a Christian at the time, it would bring fear into your mind because Saul was a very angry man and Saul was persecuting God's people persecuting Christians and he was on his way with letters of authority to Damascus and he was going to go there and find anyone who wore the name of Christ and he was going to bring them back bound to stand trial on the way Paul has something occur he hears a voice Saul Saul why persecutest thou me And Paul said, Who art thou, Lord? And the voice said, 
I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And I find that interesting that he didn't say, I am the Son of God. Or I am the Messiah. No, he said, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. You know, Paul, Saul at the time, as we know him, had a little bit of a change of heart here upon meeting Jesus. I want to start reading in verse 8. It says, And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. What happened to Saul when he got to Damascus? Well, for one thing, Saul was blind. But for another thing, Saul had had a great enlightenment. He had just learned that his mission in life that he had set out to do, which was to serve God, wrong as he was, he had a zeal of God and was going to serve God because he thought that this Jesus was a fraud. And now he's learned that really Jesus is not a fraud. He is the Son of God. And he's had a very great change of heart, so much of a great change of heart that he's been in Damascus And he said for three days he's been there and he hasn't eaten, he hasn't drank anything, and he's praying. Maybe you've had moments in life where your life is in shambles and it brings you to your knees. And maybe you have had these moments where you've said a great and fervent prayer. I would have loved to have heard Saul's prayer. You know, this is something people often talk about, that once you reach this state, I guess, that that now it's time to pray. Ask Jesus to come into your life. Ask Him to give you forgiveness, and He'll grant it. I wonder if somewhere in that three days that here, Paul, this fervent servant of the Most High, said at any time in those three days, please forgive me. He's just learned that he's been persecuting the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior. I want to listen to Paul as he gives uh, his record of his conversion in Acts 22. Now, this is Luke's record in Acts 9 of what happened with Saul, but Paul, he retold this story as he went around and talked to people. And I want to read... Uh, One of those tellings in Acts chapter 22. Acts 22, and I've got verse 12. Um, I want to start in verse 10. Verse 10. Paul here telling says, And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise. And go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed of thee to do. I want to ask you a question. Does Saul believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He sure does. He's spoken with him. Do you think he's confessed that he believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, moments before this, 
Saul is ready to go and stop the name of Christ from being spread. Now he's calling him Lord and asking him, What do you want me to do, Jesus? (laughs) This is a repentant man. What do you want me to do? He said, You go to Damascus and there it will be told you what you must do. So he's in Damascus. Verse 12, one Ananias, this same Ananias that Jesus spoke to, says, A devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews that dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight in the same hour I looked upon him. And he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be a witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Now listen to verse 16. Now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Paul, though he had faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and confessed that faith and had a repentant heart and was ready to turn his life over to Jesus Christ, even though he'd been praying for three days in fasting, still had his sins. You say, well, how do you know that? Because, friends, you can't have your sins washed away unless your sins still exist. He was told to wash away his sins. How? He said, arise and be baptized. Why? Because... In order to get in Jesus Christ where salvation is, where there's no condemnation, sin must be removed. And that sin, he says, is washed away when we're baptized into Jesus Christ. Romans 6 and verse 3, which we've already read. Galatians 3 and verse 26 and 27. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you have been baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. Have you put on Christ? Are you in Jesus Christ tonight? The only way you'll get there is by submitting to Him and being united with Him. Number two, Paul tells us several times in these passages of Scripture that when someone is baptized, They're baptized into the death of Christ. He says in verse 4, Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death. Into death. Like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Verse 5, For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, our old man is crucified with him. Verse 7 we read earlier, He that is dead is freed from sin. Why does he make this connection with death? Death. Death. Because, friends, when someone is baptized, scripturally, when they're baptized by faith in Jesus Christ, they're baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. United with Him. What's so significant about the death of Christ? A lot of things. But in one thing particular, Jesus shed His blood in His death. The blood of Christ is told... To wash away sin. John would write in Revelations 1 and 5 toward the end of that passage. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Does the blood of Christ wash away sins? It absolutely does. 
Jesus said himself in Matthew 26 and 28, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Why? For the remission or the doing away or the putting away of sins. Jesus' blood washes away sin. Jesus' blood remits sin. I want to notice a passage that we just read a moment ago. Acts twenty two sixteen, That baptism also washes away sin. When Peter was asked in Acts chapter 2 in verse 38, What shall we do? Or they asked that in verse 20, uh, 37. He replied by saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. Do you see a pattern? The blood is said to wash away sins and give remission. Well, so is baptism. Someone says, well, that's kind of confusing. Which one is it? Well, the blood is what washes away sin, friends. And baptism is when. Because when we are baptized, we're baptized into the death of Jesus Christ. We're united with Jesus Christ. Have you been united with Jesus Christ in his death? He said, if you're dead, you're freed from sin. If you're not dead, friends, and I don't mean physically. I mean, if you haven't been separated from sin by being crucified with Jesus Christ in baptism, you're not freed from sin. He put it very plainly. Number three, I want to notice that baptism is also a burial and it's a resurrection. We can learn a lot of different things about baptism from the fact that it's a burial and resurrection. I want to notice particularly at the end of verse 4, Paul here mentions that in baptism it results in newness of life. Newness of life. Of birth. You know, maybe you're like some of us. Maybe you have a long history of sin. You know, I told you a little bit about my life Wednesday night. I want you to know that there was a time during that that I wished that I could just erase everything. And just get a do-over. <laughs> but I couldn't do that. But God can. He can erase everything in your past and give you a fresh start, make you a new person, give you new life, a spiritual birth. And that happens when we're buried, when we're resurrected. Baptism, friends, is a burial. Acts chapter 8 and verse 38, the Bible says that he commanded the chariot to stand still. Now this is Philip and the eunuch. Philip is preaching Jesus to this man. And at some point they came to this water and here this eunuch commands the chariot to stand still. And I want to notice these different phrases. The Bible says, and they went down both into the water. And then he says it again, both. And then he names them Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water... Here this man was baptized, and five times the narrative points out that there were two people that went into the water. Do you see that? They, both, both, Philip and the eunuch, they came up out of the water. Why does he say that so many times? 
You know, John the Baptist also uh, did a baptism. And the Bible tells us in John 3 and 23 that John was in Anon near to Salim because there was much water there. If we were to go back and say, John, why did you choose this particular spot to baptize people? What does the Bible say his answer would be? Because there was much water there. This eunuch was traveling back home from Jerusalem about 500 miles. You know what? They didn't have Allsips or 7-Eleven or Toot and Totem. You couldn't just stop and get some water. It was a long trip home. And you know what people carried in that day with them? Water. Because you need water to survive. Why after Philip taught this man, did this eunuch not just say, well, you know what, I've got some water. I mean, I've got water for me and the servants that are with me, whoever's driving the chariot. Just baptize me. No, the Bible says they came unto a certain water. And then the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And what happened? They commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went into the water. How much water was there? Enough for two people to go in it. Why? Because baptism is a burial. Do we understand what a burial is? We talked about this today. You know, I remember when I was a kid, and, and not to be, uh, you know, crude or anything, but we, we had a little dog, and, and uh, this dog, it, it was small compared to my stepbrother's dog. He had a blue healer, and you know how temperamental they can be. Well, this healer would beat that dog up all the time. And finally, he got him so bad that Dad said, you know, we got to put this dog down. So we did. And he said, son, go get a shovel. So I did. We went and got a shovel. And we, we went and he said, all right, let's dig a hole. So we dug a hole. And you know how deep we dug that hole? We didn't have to dig it very deep. Deep enough we didn't think the cows would come. But we dug that hole deep enough to put that dog completely under the ground. You know why? Because we wanted to bury it. We didn't want to leave the head sticking up. We didn't want to leave the leg sticking up. You know why? Because that's not a burial. What's a burial? A burial is when you put something completely under. Baptism, friends, is a burial. Colossians 2 and 11 and 12, he says, In whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now I want to stop right there and talk about this because it's a little bit wordy, isn't it? Now let me explain why he's saying what he's saying. There were two types of people in the world. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And Gentiles is a generic phrase. It means not a Jew, really. And the Jews were given, really all the way back to Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And circumcision, to be very vague, was a fleshly operation. It was a surgical procedure where some skin was removed. But in that removal of skin, it was a sign of the covenant between God and that boy. They did that at eight days old. You didn't know anything about God, but you were in a covenant with him. Why? Because you had this fleshly, surgical procedure done. The Gentiles did not have this procedure done when they were eight days old, nor did they have it when they were older. 
And there were Jews going around saying, look, if you're not circumcised, you're really not in the covenant with God. In fact, the Bible says in Acts 15 and 1 that they were teaching, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you can't be saved. Paul writing to Gentiles, tell them you are circumcised. Well, no, they weren't. Yes, they were. Not physically. He said, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. So no, this wasn't a physical procedure, but they had a circumcision. Now, skin was cut off in circumcision, right? What was cut off in this circumcision that he's talking about? Sin was cut off. The putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. That's what's cut off in this circumcision. And what is this circumcision that he says they had? He identifies it by saying, buried with him in baptism. When also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. God does this circumcision. Not a priest, not a doctor, but God himself. And he doesn't remove skin, folks. He removes sin. When does that happen? When we're buried with him in baptism. And when we're risen with him through faith. What does this result in? He says in verse 13, And you being dead in your sins, there's that phrase again, You being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. He said, Because you've had this operation of God, you are alive with him. Newness of life. A birth. And secondly, he says, and he's forgiven you all trespasses. You know, there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of argument. Is baptism necessary for one to be saved? I want to ask a different question. Let's not talk about salvation generically, okay? What is salvation? What does that mean, we're saved? I want to go back to Matthew 1 and 21 where the angel told Joseph of Mary, She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. What is salvation? What are we saved from? We're saved from sin. What have we read tonight? Baptism washes away sin. It's for the remission of sin. It's for the removal of the put or the putting off of the body of sin. The body of sin is destroyed. We're freed from sin. Why are we baptized? What's the purpose of baptism? To get rid of sin. And sin is what we're saved from. Friends, how can you be saved from sin if you haven't done what God told you to do to get rid of sin? Is baptism essential for salvation? Well, let's ask it a different way. Can you get rid of your sin without being baptized? The Bible says no. No, you can't. Because that's when sin is removed. That's when God operates. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20. He plainly says it in these verses. Which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was there preparing. Wherein few that his eight souls were saved by water. So Peter talks about Noah. He says, you know, there were some disobedient people back in that day. But he said there was also some people that were saved in that day. 
And he said, there were eight souls that were saved by water. And he says, the like figure weren't even baptism doth also now save us. That's pretty plain, isn't it? Someone says, well, no, he's saying that baptism is just a figure of when you're saved. That's not what he said. He said that Noah and his family being saved by water is figurative of how we're saved today by water through baptism. What happened in the days of Noah? The floodwaters came in and the floodwaters destroyed sinful man, right? And what happened to the righteous? They were raised up in the ark to life. That's exactly what happens in the waters of baptism. We've already looked at that. There's a burial and a resurrection. This is the point where God washes away sin and destroys the old man. You know, over and over I've heard people say, well, there's no power in that water. Well, I never said there was. I agree with them. There's no power in the water. You know, we, we can go back to the story of Naaman and look at that story. I mean, God washed this man's leprosy away in the, about the dirtiest river you can think of. And that was this man's logic. Are not these rivers in my land better than this river? He says, it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. You don't get in the baptistry or in the water and scrub off your sin. It's not a physical washing. Oh, there's a physical event that occurs. But what's washed? The conscience. Sin is washed away. You're cleansed from iniquity. Well, should you be baptized? Well, if you haven't been baptized, I think by just looking at our study tonight, that's, that has a very obvious answer, yes. If you want to be saved, if you want your sins to be forgiven, then yes, you should be baptized. Someone says, well, I'm, I'm not so certain that, that the baptism that I had is the same as what we've studied about. I want to look at Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19, if you'll turn in your Bibles, I don't have this on the screen. Acts 19 and verse 1. And I want to read about several men that had been baptized and, and about Paul coming in contact with these men. This is a very interesting story that will help us in our understanding of this question. Acts 19 and verse 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, and we'll talk about Apollos in a minute. It says that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul having passed to the upper coast came to Ephesus. Now remember that where Paul's gone to. He's gone to Ephesus. And it says, In finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, this raised up red flags. You know why? Paul says, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, Holy Ghost, what's that? What is the Holy Ghost? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, go ye therefore and baptize, or go, go ye therefore and teach all nations, rather, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These people haven't even heard of the Holy Ghost. So Paul, upon asking that question and their response, he says, Well, under what then were you baptized? They said, Under John's baptism. Now, what was the purpose of John's baptism? Remission of sins. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, John baptized for the remission of sins. Well, what's the problem? 
Listen to Paul's explanation. Verse 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should look where? Unto him that should come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, they should look unto the one that should come after him. Now look, John's baptism was a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. When were these people baptized? Well, let's back up into Acts chapter 18. And I want to read about another man. A man that he introduced is Apollos. And Luke tells us about Apollos in verse 24. Acts 18, 24. He tells us there was a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus where Paul found these men. Verse 25, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. Apollos, years after Jesus had come and been crucified and resurrected and ascended into heaven, was teaching the baptism that was looking forward to the death of Jesus. John's baptism was fine before the death of Christ, but now it's no longer valid. And these men, although they were baptized, they were not baptized into Jesus Christ. Their baptism was incorrect, the first one. So they really weren't what we'd say rebaptized. They were baptized correctly. Why? Because we need to have faith in the operation of God. We need to understand that we're being baptized into Jesus Christ. Why did they believe that John's baptism would save them? Well, just look at Apollos with me. He was born at Alexandria. Alexandria was a center of education at the time. Now, you know, anywhere you go is about you can get an education now. But not in those days. But Alexandria, people that came from there, they were educated. The Bible also says this man was eloquent. I bet words just flowed off his tongue like rivers of silk. And he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. You know why these people believed what Apollo said? Because this educated man who knew more about the Bible than they did and could quote it by verse by verse and with great eloquence told them they were saved. And they believed it. But when Paul, a man with the Holy Spirit inspired by God and commissioned to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ came unto them, he taught them the truth. And you know what happened? When they realized the truth, they obeyed it. Because they realized that what they had done, although it may have been taught with good intention, was incorrect. Friends, there might be a reason why you might need to be baptized correctly, even though you may have been baptized before. If you receive sprinkling of water or pouring of water, that's not correct. We've already read several passages tonight where baptism is said to be a burial. You're buried with Jesus. 
That means to be covered. The very word baptism, we use that word baptism, but the word baptism simply means immerse, to overwhelm, to cover completely. Have you been immersed? If you did not believe, I want to go back to Acts chapter 8 for a moment, and I want to uh, read the beginning of this man, uh, this eunuch, as they come under this water. I want to notice a couple of uh, exchanges that take place here. Acts chapter 8, <coughs> verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now stop right there. This man just asked Philip a question. And what was that question? What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now let's put it in our language. Is there anything that would stop me from being baptized like you just taught me? Is there anything stopping me, Philip? What would hinder me from being baptized? Did Philip say, well, nothing. There's water. Let's do it. Listen to his answer. Verse 37. And Philip said, if... Thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. I want you to think about that. What would hinder me from being baptized? Well, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You know, that has an opposite response too. If you don't believe, you may not. <laughs> Why? Because you'd be wasting your time. Friends, some people are given a form of a baptism when they're very, very young. And I know my children were prodigious too. <laughs> they were smart. But you know, a very, very small child does not have the capacity to understand sin and God's justice. I remember when I was eight years old, I told my grandpa, I want to be baptized. And he said, well, why do you want to be baptized? I said, baptism is for remission of sins. And he said, okay. You know what I didn't tell him? I'd talked to my grandmother two weeks before that, and I said, Grandma, why can't I take communion? She said, well, that's for baptized people. <laughs> well, I wanted to take communion. I didn't understand the death of Jesus. I, I didn't, if they'd asked me, do you have any sins? I'd probably, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really believe. It wasn't because I didn't want to. I, I was eight years old. Sometimes infants are given some form of a baptism. Good intentions as people may have. An infant does not have the capability to believe with all their heart. But you know what? Philip didn't just say, well, you know, if you believe, now let's go. This man made a confession. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down in the water. If you didn't repent, I want to be very clear about this. You know, when we talk about if you didn't repent, that doesn't mean if you didn't get your life straight before you were baptized. You know, 
Maybe you've heard somebody say that. I said that. Well, I'm going to get my life right. Then I'll come to the Lord. Well, that don't work. You come to the Lord and the Lord will make your life right. But repentance must take place. I want you to look with me at Romans 6 and verse 17. He said, but God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of, do- a form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. You obeyed from the heart, he said, that form of doctrine. What happened there? A change. Did he say you became perfect and mature spiritual creatures of God? No. He said, but something changed in you. You stopped being a slave to sin and you started serving righteousness. Repentance. I'll tell you one more story about me. When I was 13, and there's some people here who have known me all my life so they can attest to this, I was a heathen. And I had a pretty bad reputation in our small community of Allison. And trust me, everyone had a reputation in Allison, Texas. Because you had 100 people and everybody talked. Well, my reputation was tarnished. And I had people on my case all of the time. And I thought to myself one night, we had a gospel meeting like we're having tonight. And uh, we had a brother up there that was preaching. And I thought, you know what, I bet if I will go and be baptized that people will leave me alone. I thought, this is my solution. I can just get out of all this trouble. And I went forward at the invitation and I was baptized. You know what? People left me alone for about two weeks. Until they looked and they said, you know what? He hadn't changed a bit. I was like a lot of people. Now I'll be honest, I wanted a savior. I wanted my sins to be washed away. But I did not wish to have a Lord. And Jesus is both. He's not just one. He's not just Savior. He's Lord and Savior. And when you make a covenant with Jesus Christ, repentance has to happen. Otherwise, you can get wet, but you don't get clean. Did you repent? Or did you just get wet? If you prayed the sinner's prayer... Someone said, well, what's wrong with praying the sinner's prayer? Well, I'll tell you for one thing, it's not in the Bible. You'll never find the sinner's prayer in the Scriptures. God never prescribed the sinner's prayer for salvation. And we've already noticed tonight that He has commanded us to be baptized in order to have our sins washed away. Well, what is the purpose of the sinner's prayer? What do educated men teach that this act is for. Well, they say, well, this is when you're saved. You ask Jesus to come into you? Is that what we've noted? That we request Jesus to come into us and we're saved? The Bible says we go into Him. Friends, a sinner's prayer is not correct. Well, you know, sometimes people will say the sinner's prayer Believing that they're saved and then later on go have a baptism. And why are they having a baptism? Well, you know, a a relative of mine was asked this question one time. She was arguing with her husband-to-be about whether or not 
Uh, she was baptized for the mission of sin. She said, I know I was. And he said, well, you said the sinner's prayer. She said, I know that I, I was baptized for the right reason. He said, well, we, we don't have to argue about this. He said, "Just do you know the guy that right up the road? He, we'll call him. So she called him. And she said, Mike, I wanted to talk to you a minute. And he said, well, well what is it? And she said, well, I just want to know. She said, when you baptized me, why did you do that? She said, wasn't that for the remission of sins? He said, oh no, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. He said, you were baptized to join the church, our church. She hung up the phone. She said, let's go. <laughs> See, she had ter- heard teaching about baptism. And she'd learned that it was for the remission of sins and decided, well, that must be why I did it. But she was actually taught that when she asked Jesus into her heart, that that's when she was saved. Friends, you need to understand what you're doing when you're baptized. You need to have faith in the operation of God. And understanding that when you go into the water, that's when your sins are being washed away. Because that's when you're being united with Jesus Christ. And that's when you're given new life. And finally... If you have any doubt at all, and I want to be very clear about this. I'm not saying if you doubt that you're saved, you need to be baptized again. Because there could be some other reason that's causing you to doubt. Your baptism may be perfectly fine, and maybe you have had a lot of sin in your life, and that's why you doubt. What I'm saying is if you doubt that your baptism was right. You know, some people say, well, I don't even remember. (laughs) I I don't know why I was baptized, but I remember being baptized. Well, you know, I don't think I'd want to chance my soul on maybe. Obey the Lord, understanding what you're doing, having faith in the plan of God, and knowing what you're doing. Friends, we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ tonight. He calls for you. If you're here tonight, and you need to be united with Jesus Christ in His death, in His burial, In his resurrection, he will wash away all of your sins and make you a new creature. Would you like to do that tonight? If you're here tonight and you want to request to be baptized, please come have a seat on the front and we will help you to do so as we stand and sing.